Welcome to Kick Your Butts, a show where excuses, limits, and boundaries go to die. Where moving through everything that's holding you back is the key to stepping onto your infinite path and achieving the success you deserve in life, business, and relationships. It's time to take those butts and kick them into oblivion. Now, here's your host, Susan Desenzi. Welcome, welcome to the first inaugural episode of the new format for Infinite Possibilities, which is now Kick Your Butts. And of course, you know that that's not literal. It's the B-U-T-S kind of butts, you know, the kind of things that we get caught up in when we're like, oh, I really wish I could do that, but... And I am super excited to have my very first guest on the new show today, and I'll introduce you to her in a minute. She's a dear friend and a bright, smart, intelligent woman, and you are going to learn an enormous amount today about a very important topic. We are in the holiday season, and stress is the number one killer of women in the Western world, and it is largely preventable. You know, and that's the thing that we can get so tied up and caught up in stress that we don't even realize that we're stressed. It becomes kind of our new normal. So I am super excited and very honored to have my guest today, Audrey Weidman. Now, Audrey is a certified stress mastery educator with the American Institute of Stress, and she's a whole lot more than that. But previously, she has her MBA and spent 10 years in the Fortune 100 industry as a consultant, and the stress and the lifestyle eventually led her to another calling. And she went into real estate and was doing phenomenal. And then the crash. And so Audrey is also a heart math facilitator. She's a positive prime professional. Those are the three Ps in a row. And I am so excited to have Audrey on today because we are going to have an amazing conversation about stress and mindset and how stress can actually create so much illness and disease in the body and kill us. And with this holiday season, I think it's important that you all hear this. So welcome, 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 Audrey. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Susan, for having me. Well, I would love to start with kind of your story. Why did you become someone who felt it important to teach people about stress? Well, Susan, a lot of times what you'll notice is that when people become expert in something, there's an underlying need for it themselves. Like, you know, the student becomes the teacher. Yeah. And in that case, that was me because I really had to get my stress under control. In fact, stress, you touched on this earlier, but anywhere between 70 to 90% of doctor's visits are related to stress. Really? Yes. And that is quantified by the American Institute of Stress, but it's also recognized by the American Heart Association and the AMA, the American Medical Association. Yeah, so we live in kind of a toxic, stress-filled world. And what we're coming up against is the holidays, which should be a time of joy and fun and, you know, just gratitude for everything that we have. And instead, we can quickly spiral into a negative thinking and getting into a stress downward spiral. You know, and I think I misspoke earlier. I think that I said that stress is the number one killer of women in the Western world. And actually it's heart disease. And, you know, you kind of had a, an unfortunate personal experience with that. And that led you to becoming a healthy lifestyle advocate who You now work with women, right, who have cardiovascular disease to create more of a balance of mind and body? Right. Well, I'll give you a little bit about my background. So heart disease does run in my family. My father died of a heart attack when I was only 20, and it left a big impression on my life. And I thought it was mostly due to exercise and what you were eating. And I was angry at him for 
not having the discipline to manage his diet and exercise, but he was a very busy person. And I since learned a lot. So about four years ago, now I went to a doctor's appointment and they said, okay, Audrey, it's time for you to go on statins. And I had been someone who had prided myself on, you know, healthy living and exercise. And you and I knew each other back then. And I would say you, you wouldn't have said, oh, there's Audrey. She's like, you know, bad news with her health. But when I got that, that was my first, you know, shot over the bow. So I said, all right, give me three months and I am going to clean up my diet. I will exercise and I'm going to bring this cholesterol down myself. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I did. I awesome. lost 12 pounds of belly fat and I reduced my cholesterol by 40 points into the normal range. Despite the fact that I had this genetic component of like making too much cholesterol in my liver and absorbing too much from my intestines. I can, That's just a genetic thing that you can overcome with healthy eating. But I felt like superwoman. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to be like my father. I'm not going to be like my father. And you know, when you keep repeating that to yourself, your unconscious mind does not hear the knot. Right. And nine months after I was successful in reducing my cholesterol and losing that weight, I had a heart attack. And I walked around two days without knowing it. Two days. Two days. You know, is that possible to, well, obviously it's possible because you unfortunately lived through that, but you know, that's a very interesting thing that we can have a heart attack and it's not like what we see in the movies, maybe where somebody, you know, has the, which will go over the signs of a heart attack. And then all of a sudden they just kind of keel over that. It can be something like what you've experienced where you actually had a heart attack. And then for two more days, you were living and moving around and eating and sleeping and walking and talking. And you had no idea. That's wow. I'm so, first of all, I'm so glad that you're still here. So yeah. What happened then? Well, I was working in my yard and I was cutting brush down with my head below my heart. And I was actively trying to move the shears, you know, sideways below my heart. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of pressure that was built up. The other interesting thing that I was doing is that I was listening to John Maxwell, who is a thought leader. Many of you might know him as a positive psychology person. And he was interviewing all these unlikely success stories. And the whole time I was working out in the yard, I was telling myself, I cannot believe I'm not more successful. And I was having this series of negative Mm self-talk. And I believe those two things, because for sure, thoughts can become things. I believe that that along with the negative self-talk really got me the heart attack. And I knew when it happened, I just didn't know it was a heart attack because women heart attacks symptoms are varied and they can be diffuse. And in my case, I just got really dizzy and I felt strange. I knew when it happened and I, you know, walked into the house and I said, I don't really feel good. I'm going to take a break. And my husband's like, that's fine. You know, just sit down. You've been working hard all morning. And I did. And I had this thing, like I never get heartburn, but I had what I thought was heartburn and it persisted. And I said, you know, you should give me a chest massage, like, because it was hurting in between my ribs. And he said, you're starting to scare me. Let's go to the ER. And I said, no, 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 no. I have a regularly scheduled appointment for my annual wellness checkup on Monday. I said, We'll do it then. I don't want to go to the ER and sit there and wait. And in some ways, it's probably good because, you know, on that Monday when I went down to the doctor's office, I ran to the train. No joke. I was jogging to the train. And then I walked all the way down Michigan Avenue from the train station, which is probably about seven, eight blocks. And the first thing that my doctor did is she had her staff 
do an EKG on me. And she's like, oh, how are you doing? And then she looked at the EKG and she goes, oh my God, where's last year? And she looks at me and she says, Audrey, you had a heart attack. And I said, uh, you know what? I wasn't quite registering. She said, we have to get you to the hospital right away. And I said, you know, I have a friend from California who is waiting <laughs> for me at the restaurant. Oh, no. Could I go to lunch with her first and then go to the hospital? <laughs> no joke. And my oh, doctor my reminded me of that conversation when I went in for my following year appointment. She goes, do you know what you said to me? I said, yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> you were focused on, I want to meet my friend for lunch. He's in from California and I want to enjoy a good meal and I'm fine. I don't know what, what's this heart attack, smart attack stuff you're talking about. What? I ran to the train. I'm good. Yes, yeah. right. I figured I was doing all these things and I thought, well, what's a, a little bit more delay? But the thing is, there is an issue with the delay. There's more tissue death oh, yeah. that happens the longer that you wait. And so, you know, I have been telling my story because this is the number one cause of death amongst women. It's not breast cancer. In fact, it claims more women's lives than all cancers combined. All of oh them. my God, that's crazy. That is crazy to me. Well, I, I want to, you know, again, thank you for, you know, just being willing to, you know, still go, even though you, you didn't go to the hospital, for being willing to still keep your doctor's appointment and to really listen to what they said to you, even though you first wanted to go to lunch. And end up going to the hospital and being here. Audrey, you know, to my audience, Audrey is a dear friend, and I've known Audrey for many years. And I'm just personally very, very grateful and happy. I had no idea. And I remember when I first spoke to her after her heart attack, and she told me she'd had a heart attack. And I remember thinking, Audrey? Audrey had a heart attack? Because her last name is Weidman. But if you saw her, and you'll see a picture of her, you know, when this episode airs, she's a, a, a petite woman. She's tall, but she's very thin. And she, to me, has been the epitome of health. She exercises, she eats healthy, she has great self-care. And so it was a shock to my mind that she had a heart attack. I was like, no way. So I want to go back to something you said, though, that I think is important, is that you said you kind of knew. Of course, you didn't know it was a heart attack, but at the time, you kind of knew. So what, what do you think that was? Like, how, did, how do you think you kind of knew? Did you just know something was really seriously wrong? Or did you just kind of have this thought that this is really out of the normal for me? It was more the latter. Like I knew when it happened because it was so unusual. And that's the other thing I would caution women to say, like, if you were a man and you experienced chest pains, what would everybody tell that man to do? Go to the ER and just get checked out. Who cares if it's wrong? A lot of women feel that they don't want to take up someone's time because what if it is a false, like a a negative, you know, like that's chest pain wasn't really anything. Maybe it was just indigestion. Yeah. So yes, women, if there's something out of the ordinary that happens, like I didn't know it was a heart attack at the time, but when I looked back, I knew that that was the issue. Yeah. So then, so then what happened? Like, what were some of, what was your recovery like? What, what kind of happened after, you know, you're at the hospital, they tell you you've had this heart attack. My gosh, then what, what kind of happened then? Well, I have to say, maybe it's because I had always framed myself. My identity was as a healthy person. Like I really believed I was walking the talk and I was in terms of taking care of the body, but I wasn't taking care of the mind. Mm. And for me going into that hospital, it is not a pleasant experience. I believe I had PTSD from it. I went to a teaching hospital and the kind of heart attack that I had was called a SCAD, spontaneous coronary artery dissection. And it is the most common heart attack amongst women under 50. Really? It happens during hormonal changes. So a lot of times 
in the third trimester during birth, if you can imagine that, or postpartum. And in my case, I was over 50, but it's one of the largest contributing factors is stress. And it also, there are some genetic things. Some people have something called, uh, like they have curly arteries. And when you have these torturous arteries, you're more prone to getting it. But by and large, most of the women, and there are some men too, they suffered from extreme stress. And in my case, at least, you know, when the angiogram, when they went in, mm -hmm. I was grateful that I had no plaque in my arteries. That's what they sh saw. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's a SCAD. And this is why I was grateful I was at Northwestern Hospital in Chicago, despite the fact that I was surrounded by like 12 residents with my shirt off and, you know, like basically, yeah. you know, kind of being super vulnerable and freaked out. I was grateful because they recognized that it was a SCAD. As it is, it's underdiagnosed. I'm part of a Mayo study. And it is just, I don't know if an ER doc, I'm pretty sure an ER doc would never have noticed that. They probably would have you know, sent me in for stents or something and with the stent that would have been the absolute wrong thing because my arteries were already peeling apart. It would have been like, you know, having a banana peel. So wow. I was grateful, grateful for the diagnosis. So this is fascinating. There's different kinds of heart attacks. So it's not always just due to, you know, like plaque buildup. So you can have, you know, a, a healthy, um, what do they call that? The um, all of a sudden it's escaping me the um the treadmill test what's that formally called again i can't recall uh, the stress test the stress oh duh yeah, yeah right the stress <laughs> test so you can have a stress test done and that can appear normal you can have an angiogram done and that can appear normal like not that people are going out and getting angiograms done for no reason but my point is is that it's not always because of plaque buildup, obviously, as you're saying. No, it is not. Wow. There can be congenital things. And in this case, it happened, you know, the the SCAD happened to me. But yeah, it, I mean, they with the angiogram, what they do is they shoot dye in and then they could see that it diffused, like it broke out. And luckily for me, it was at the tip of my heart. So the most of the heart was preserved. It was just at the very tip of my heart. So I had another shot over the bow and I'm grateful, grateful to say that after my cardiac rehab, I didn't even know there was such a thing because this is really sad. Everybody I knew that had a heart attack died of a heart attack. I never heard of cardiac rehab. And so when I went to it, I did my absolute best because that was my job. And when I went in for the stress test, I performed with flying colors you know, I, I did really well. You wouldn't have known that my heart was damaged because you can do something called collateralization. This might be more than you want to know, but you rebuild your arteries because there's blood flow that needs to happen and it will, the body will compensate. And so my heart actually looks normal, even on an EKG. I'm so proud. Oh my God, congratulations. <laughs> That's so exciting. Yeah. All right. And so, yes, I've always known you to be the type that, you know, like if you need to get something done, if there's a task before you, you are absolutely on it. You know, it's like, get it done, you know, have that be your job. As you said, that was your job was to go to cardiac rehab and to heal and to do the work that they're asking of you. I'm curious though, how was kind of your mental state, the emotional piece of it, though, because you you spoke about how you felt a bit like maybe you had a little PTSD, which for those of you that don't know, PTSD is what we call post-traumatic stress disorder. And PTSD is based on something that is very traumatic and shocking to the system. Now, as you've heard me talk in a previous episode about trauma, trauma isn't just what typically many have thought trauma is, like living through a natural disaster or a car accident or some kind of violence in a sexual or domestic violent assault type way or being a victim of a crime. Trauma 
can be anything that is shocking to the system. And here, you know, Audrey, you're talking about how you've been this epitome of health. You've done all the things that you felt you were supposed to do. And life was moving along beautifully. And then you go to this hospital. And all of a sudden, as a teaching hospital, you have all these interns and residents and doctors poking and prodding and you know, looking at you in your vulnerable state of one being, I imagine what, you know, I, I want to hear what you actually felt, but just my observation, I would imagine you were scared. I would imagine you were in shock. You had no idea what was really going on because your conscious mind is going, wait, how could I have had a heart attack when for two days I was walking around talking and walking and living life? Because your experience up to that point, as you just said, was always anybody who had a heart attack died. And so your mind's like, well, I didn't die. Therefore, I didn't have a heart attack. And they're all kind of examining you and touching you and you have your shirt off and they're just like very medically oriented and you're sitting there scared. I can only imagine, was that some of what you experienced and like what what else was kind of going on for you then? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I have another friend with a heart condition who finds a lot of comfort in the hospital because she has a different heart condition. So I think like trauma is however your brain perceives it. Right. And in my case, I felt very violated. I mean, I wasn't just didn't just have my shirt off. I had everything. Off. Yeah, right. And I had, you know, it was just uh, my blood pressure. I remember them calling that out. I looked at the monitor and I said, what's that? And they said, honey, that's your blood pressure. It was like 260 over 140. Oh, my gosh. I was so stressed out. But what is interesting, as I was there before my husband arrived, you know, I'm I'm looking at the ceiling tiles like you see on an ER show Mm -hmm. where you're going down. I'm like, this is not real. But I looked at the clock in my ER room, Mm -hmm. and I said, I knew I wasn't going to die. I knew I wasn't going to die. And I just thought, I have to make this heart attack worth something because it can't just be for me to take care of myself. I have other gifts and talents. I need to share this and get this out to the world. And the other thing I guess I would say is I was really angry for a long time. I'm like, I did everything right. I, you know, stopped eating all this stuff, you know, and I, I take my vitamins and I exercise, I do all this, my body betrayed me, I cannot believe this. That was going on. And after a while, I realized I did it to myself. And I go back to the listening to the thoughts in my head as I was listening to John Maxwell, all the disempowering beliefs I had about myself. Because as an MBA you know, I was a successful professional working there for 15 years. I was a successful real estate investor. And then I was trying various entrepreneurial pursuits and I could not get it right. And it was like embarrassing and humiliating to me. I had all these expectations of how I would succeed and Mm -hmm. I never, never lived up to what I thought I should be able to do up to that point up to that point yeah Yeah. and so in your recovery then what was I would love to hear some of the different tools and mindset kind of tools you have and you've used that kind of helped you through and then well go ahead I want to find that out first because I want to ask you what do you think is the most important mindset tool that is that is needed in order to help you know people and especially women reduce their stress and create an environment where maybe this won't happen for them. Yeah. Well, keep in mind, I was like in shock. And initially what I knew I needed to do was I had to heal my own energy. And I had a friend who was a Donna Eden's energy medicine practitioner. Mm-hmm. And that's a very interesting thing. If you, she has a lot of educational videos on YouTube I knew enough about energy that if you have blocks of energy in certain places, you will manifest a disease. And I knew I had to get my my chakras and all my energy points flowing. And this was kind of interesting in that it's almost, it's like biomechanical. It's calisthenics kind of like you are 
physically moving the energy around in your body, as opposed to something like Reiki, where you just kind of move your hands over your very chakra and you, you don't do a lot of movement. And I thought that would be good for me. And it was. And I also would say that cardiac rehab was something I so looked forward to because, well, for one thing, they were all survivors and we were all kind of, I don't care if you were a man who was, you know, looked like he should have had a heart attack. And many of the guys in my little rehab group were, but I can tell you that none of them really thought it would happen to them. And they were all in shock. And so to be in a place of non-judgment and support and just getting around was really, really huge. But then what happened is I was rehabbing over Christmas and there was a fill-in nurse who I happen to know. And she said, Audrey, why are you here? And she goes, oh my God. And I'm like, yes, I know. And then she pulled me aside later and gave me probably my biggest gift at that point in time. And she said, Audrey, you need to learn how to meditate. And she did transcendental meditation. And as a nurse, actually, if any of your listeners are interested in transcendental meditation, you can get a reduced fee if a professional like a nurse or a doctor prescribes it. Really? Yes. And I, she was able to write me like a script so I could get a discounted thing. And what that I was so looking forward to it. And I will tell you, it's the one thing I knew would reduce blood pressure, but I never did it because I didn't have the discipline around my mind. I had discipline around a lot of things with food and exercise. Yeah. But, you know, I would say to you that meditation, think of it like a sport. If you can't get the tennis ball over the net your first try, are you going to give up? No. You keep practicing. And the discipline of the mind and learning how to meditate is super important, I think. And you just have to practice and learn it. And since I did transcendental meditation, I've also done a lot of other different types of meditation because you can think of meditation like a sport. They're all different kinds too. And so I do what kind of suits me at the time. Yeah. Well, and that I'm glad that you mentioned that because, you know, meditation is, and I've talked about this a little bit on the show before, is that meditation can be anything. Meditation can be laying down on the on the grass and looking up at the sky and being so lost in the movement of the clouds that it feels like time is standing still. That's a form of meditation, or you can do a walking meditation, or you can do a music meditation. It's not the potential stereotypical traditional thought that it has to be with your legs crossed and your fingers in a particular position with candles and incense burning and you're saying the om word over and over, right? And, and a lot of people too, I know, have thought that meditation requires your mind to be clear. Wake up, people. Your mind is never going to be clear. You have 60,000 thoughts a day on average, they say. Studies have, have shown this. Now, don't ask me how they've been able to determine this other than through, you know, brainwave studies and things like that that show activity. If that's true, which I do believe, how are you ever going to get to a point where you're completely clearing your mind? So as Audrey said, don't believe that it's, oh, I had all this thought and I couldn't focus and I couldn't concentrate and so I'm not meditating and, you know, forget this, it's not working and then give it up. Keep finding that thing that allows you to really be in the present because that's really what meditation is, is about being in the present moment awareness of your mind, body and spirit. Would you agree, Audrey? Yes. And, and the thing is, you can have a wandering thought, but the key is with any kind of meditation is you just bring it back to your point of focus. It's kind of like if you think about a toddler who's learning how to walk, they get up, they fall down, but they get up again and they keep trying and you can see the concentration on their faces. Right. You know, and that is what you have to just allow yourself to do that. 
So did you find yourself judging yourself when you first started? She prescribed meditation for you and you, you started to kind of engage in the activity. Did you find then that you were having a lot of wandering thoughts and that you were judging yourself? And like, how did you kind of come through that? What kind of mindset tools did you find you had to use in order to be able to get to that place where you could really feel a comfort in your meditation practice? Yeah, it was kind of interesting because even before I met my my friend who is the nurse, I thought, well, okay, I better try some meditation. There are various meditation apps that you can get on your phone, like 10% Happier or uh, Headspace are some of the ones that come to mind. But I really liked TM, Transcendental Meditation, because it is done in a group with a person who guides you and you come back for four successive days and I just thought, what else do I have to do right now? I have to get myself better, you know? <laughs> right. But there's a lot of other people who do, like professionals who work, and you'll hear like Howard Stern, and uh, I can't remember some of the other people. I know that, um, oh, I can't remember. He's the host of Good Morning America, George Stephanopoulos, and oh, a lot yeah. of those people, they do TM, but you have this, inauguration of like four days and it's not four long days it's like maybe an hour and a half so it was done after work successively and I thought just the discipline of being part of a group was really good also other meditation courses or practitioners you could probably seek out locally that would help you with that but that is like virtually every day I meditate. Even if it is just for five minutes, it's better than nothing and it helps to ground me. And in fact, people have noticed I'm different. They say, you're just a lot calmer and nicer. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, 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 wait. Uh, okay. I want, I want you all to know, I want, listen, listen up, kick your butts audience. I want you all to know that Audrey has never not been nice. I've known her for years she is this a just absolutely sweet, nice, adorable, amazing woman. So I'm curious. I, I I know they may have said that to you that you're nicer. I'm curious what you think that kind of meant because I've never experienced you to be anything other than this very open, nice person. Now I will say that I would agree that you are calmer because before there was an uptight to you that was not like there wasn't this stuffiness or anything like that it wasn't uptight like you were arrogant or you thought you were better than anybody not not that kind of uptightness I want to be clear on that but it was like this yeah I guess it was this very stressed kind of more a little bit more tightly wound maybe a little more self-judgmental would you say that you were more judgmental of yourself and maybe for me my experience of you after you know, post heart attack has been that I think that's what it is, Audrey, is that you're not, I don't really see you judging yourself really hardly ever anymore. Whereas before, I think you did that a lot. Now, do you feel that, that you did that? Oh, I have to say and confess that, yes, I definitely judged myself most harshly of all. But I did have a lot more judgments of other people. Really? I did. But I didn't vocalize it, you know. And now I would say I am more patient and I have a lot more compassion for people because I, everybody has their own row to hoe. You know, like you would never know me walking around that. I was a heart attack survivor. And you can't say that about anyone. Maybe somebody just lost a loved one. Maybe somebody just is recovering from cancer. Maybe somebody, they, everybody has something. And that never became so clear to me as after me having a heart attack. So it's, it's actually, somebody told me, this might actually be one of the best things that ever happened to you. And I said, oh, right. But I will tell you that has come to pass because I think I'm much more of my best self, much more of my best self. And just um, your vibe, like 
you can be attracted to people because of their energy. And I find a lot more people are attracted to me now than before because I was giving off this energy that was not good. Like, you know, you can walk into a room and you go, I got to get out of this place. I don't know what it is. You know, we're sensitive to energy because we're energetic beings. And, you know, I'm giving off a lot better vibe these days. And you know what? And, and again, I've always loved and adored you. And so, you know, maybe because I do what I do for a living as a therapist and coach that I just see people's pain. And so I'm able to look past it. But I can absolutely see what you're talking about. In that pre heart attack, there was more of a potential judgment vibe from you, even if it was more directed at yourself, more of that then and more of a stressed, uptight kind of feel versus now post heart attack. And, you know, I've always said that too that a lot of times our experiences that we perceive to be very negative or traumatic or harsh really do end up becoming some of the greatest gifts of our life if we are open to the gifts and the tools that it's offering up to us. So what do you think was one of the biggest things that you learned about this whole experience that, that, that then led you down this passionate road to say, oh my gosh, I want to help women you know, men too, but really help women understand how they can walk around with this stress and it can kill them and have this heart, you know, disease or, or potential problem and not even know it so that they, you can help them prevent heart, a heart attack that, you know, maybe for them wouldn't be survivable. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing in this, I'm sure we've all heard this, but I really have been living it now is like, if you think about all we have is the present, the past is gone, the future isn't here yet. And we have this gift called the present. Right. So being in the present moment, especially with your kids, as they grow up, do not multitask. I was the queen of multitasking because in corporate America, you are rewarded and judged as to whether you were able to handle your job by how many things you could do at once. And it's the absolute wrong thing to do. Your efficiency goes way down and your focus goes down because literally you can only think one thought at a time and you're always diffusing your things. So less multitasking and just being aware of the present and finding the good in it. Mm -hmm. And did you find other things that came out of the heart attack? Did you find that other things were very important in potentially your recovery, but in the preventable nature of it, had you known about it prior, which could help, you know, the audience now, that you found were absolutely critical that you never really even paid that much attention to or thought about on that level before? Oh, for sure. That's the whole thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to find tools in my toolkit besides meditation that I could help other women with. And the big thing for me was I had been Googling on stress because at that point, at some point, I just admitted it to myself. Like, my stress caused this heart attack. And I was Googling and I saw this beta program through Dr. Heidi Hanna, who is on the board of the American Institute of Stress. And she's very, very, she's very good. And she was launching a beta program for stress mastery educators. And it's all neuroscience based, you know, it's like fact-based protocols, because as much as I like energy, there is a lack of mainstreamness sometimes with that. A, a lot of people want to see facts. And I thought I applied to it, like hoping I was going to get in. And I did. Oh, wow. I was so, so yeah. excited about uh, because it was like really kind of 
an interesting group. She had a whole a range of people. There were doctors, there were psychotherapists, there were nurses, there were a broad range of people. And I felt like one of the least qualified, but I think she wanted to have people who were just regular people because I had a passion to teach it. And so it, I was, I am in very good company with all of these educators that are newly minted. And yeah, so that's kind of what I started with. Well, and I want to point out something, and I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not uh, therapizing you or anything, but you know, this show is about kicking our butts and kicking our excuses that are our self-imposed limitations and the boundaries that we put on ourselves. I would just invite you to think about something you just said just because I love and adore you and you're my friend, that you are one of the least qualified. You know what? Certifications, licenses, degrees mean really nothing in the scheme of things, especially when you put it up against someone who has personal experience and they've lived through something and they are able to share with other people what their own personal experience was with their thoughts and their feelings and their emotions and you know all the challenges that they came up against. For me personally, I trust someone like that more than someone who has this degree or license in some particular thing and then just got this other certification. Because to me, then sometimes it just is like, oh, I'm just adding to this toolbox of my letters after my name or this toolbox of whatever. You have and had an actual deep passion and reason for wanting to help prevent other women from ever having to go through this again because it could have ended your life and thank god it didn't and Correct. to help prevent them so i you know this is what this show is about so i have I to know. i have to point I'm that busted. out sorry you're busted <laughs> i'm busted you know so what like what other things did you find were so critical other than obviously you know eating healthier and exercising and then really kind of attending to our mind and, and using those mindset tools that can help us shift in our mindsets, what else did you find was really important? Was it like, you know, just was it sleep? Was it diminishing stress, you know, in these other ways by taking tasks off our list? Like, what else did you find? Well, stress is defined as excess demand versus capacity. And so the way to increase your capacity is to either let things go or to build your capacity. And you can work it both ways. And just one of the things that I learned in the Stress Mastery Program is how our brain works. And there are three major parts of the brain. There's the reptilian parts of our brain that makes a judgment within a tenth of a second if you are safe or not. So imagine that you're getting ready to cross the street and there's a car coming zooming by. You don't have this debate with yourself, like, should I get out of the street? You just like react and get out. Right, right. You know? Right. So that's the part of the brain that you're running away from the proverbial tiger, right? Right. And then there is the next higher level part of the brain is the emotional part of the brain. And we are social creatures. So it is really, really important to be part of a community and to feel valued and part of a group. Mm -hmm. And if you don't feel safe and if you don't feel like you belong, your brain is hijacked. You will never get to your prefrontal cortex, which is your higher functioning brain. And this is all cool stuff that I learned from from a neuroscience perspective, but you have to be safe and you have to feel good and then you can do your higher level thinking. Mm -hmm. So you need to identify when you start to feel stress and you build up a toolbox of things that can help you. Cause sometimes you might be the end of a long day and you have time to meditate, but not all the time. Right? So you might want to do something like the Donna Eden's energy like method, which is more like you know, calisthenics and moving things around, or you could go out for a walk, or you could go barefooted, not right now in Chicago, which is, you know, <laughs> there's snow on the ground, but yeah. no, don't do that, people. You could get lost in nature, hug a tree, literally, like being outside, just taking a break, getting up from your desk. And I can't tell you how many times I used to like be at my desk and I'm like, 
oh, if I just like muscle through this another half hour, I'll be done. Meanwhile, everything is tensed up. You are not thinking clearly because when you are under stress, your focus is very small and you cannot see possibilities. So those are things that I've implemented. And there's some very cool tips that I could share. And one of them actually is like around sleep. I'll just address that. A lot of people who are stressed cannot sleep. And that is a recipe for a cycle, just downward spiral. And then when we sleep, it's a time for our brains to consolidate memories, but it's also a time for glymphatic repair. And I said glymphatic, like lymphatic with the G. And that is a time for us to clear our brains. If you don't sleep well, the people who are more chronic insomniacs are more likely to get Alzheimer's. Really? More likely to have dementia. It's super, super important to have really good sleep hygiene for all kinds of reasons, but that is one of them. And well, you- what happens if you have somebody who is an insomniac and they feel like they're exercising, they feel like they're eating healthier, they feel like they're working on their mindset and they're doing the things that they need to do. And at the same time, they're really still struggling with sleep. Do you recommend that they go to a like a sleep center and get a sleep study done or and you know and see a sleep doctor or is there other things that would be helpful for someone like that? Because I know quite a few people like that actually. Yeah. Well, I have a free ebook on all kinds of holistic sleep options that I looked at because I wasn't going to go down the road of like, just give me an Ambien because they're addictive and you don't get the same quality sleep. Just look at Michael Jackson, you know, like that was a disaster, Mm -hmm. but having a defined sleep time in a routine going down, just think of yourself as a little kid. It's not just little kids, adults need it too. This whole like wind down time, getting away from blue lights, uh, meaning anything on your screen, even if you turn on the blue light filter on your screen, you should be wearing blue blocker glasses. Oh, you mean like on your um, cell phone or on your computer, your laptop or your iPad kind of thing? Yes, it's Mm -hmm. not enough. It's too stimulating. I would say about an hour before you go to bed, you should start preparing for the next day, lay out, you know, make your lunch or get your clothes out, kind of look over your schedule, write the stuff down that you think you need to attend to. Because like, how many times do we have wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my God, I forgot to do that. And you're so tired and you can't write it down, but then all night you're thinking about it. You can like write some of that stuff down and you know, you can do things like take a bath or a shower, keep your room temperature cold, cool, because you start to make melanoma or melanoma, melatonin. <laughs> Melanoma. All right, audience, here you go. You want to start? You want to start? Look at this. This show is about keeping it real. You know, you you want. Okay, here we go. From now on, everybody, you can start making melanoma. Now, you're, you're no on. one will ever want to sleep. <laughs> Your doctor might not appreciate that. But anyway, yeah, yeah. melatonin. Melatonin, yes. So melatonin is really important. And it, there's just a lot of sleep habits. Like I've got sleep optimizing it for all of your senses. And just like, there are some supplements that you can take to help with sleep that are non-addictive, that are really high quality. I found that one that was really amazing for me and it does a host of other things as well. And and so you found that that like the sleep was a big component of being able to diminish kind of the biochemical stress levels in your body, like the cortisol and, you know, different uh, adrenaline and different chemicals that are physiologically being released because neuroscience is fascinating to me and was one of my favorite, you know, courses, a couple of courses in college. So that is a critical thing. Like what I'm hearing that it sounds like is that sleep 
like we can think we're stressed or not think we're stressed. We can either, you know, like know that we're stressed or we can go along and move through our life thinking that I'm, I'm handling it pretty well. I feel like I'm multitasking pretty well and I feel like I'm managing all the things that are going on fairly clear headed and, you know, with a, a fairly decent mindset. But the truth is, is that if I'm not laying a good foundation of, let's say, sleep as like this base foundation, and on top of that, I'm not adding the healthy eating and exercise to that mix, and then adding the mindset exercises that we need to offer up to and dealing with those mindset pieces, that that is what I think you're saying then becomes the recipe for potential disaster when it comes to high levels of stress that can create a heart attack and can create situations within the body where a heart attack is possible, right? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, that's one thing. And I think all of us know if we've had a couple of bad nights of sleep, you just know that you're, you're, you're not as sharp and you're more irritable. But to give this a little bit more perspective, they did this test amongst army sharpshooters. And they deliberately woke them up a couple of nights in a row. And these sharpshooters who were getting over 90% accuracy with only six hours of sleep for several nights in a row had only 50% accuracy. Wow, that's a big difference. Yeah, it is. And, you know, for us, it might not be as dire or, you know, life saving as a sharpshooter. Like, wouldn't you rather be 100%? And oh, maybe for sure. give, up, give up that TV show or go to bed a little earlier. And the other thing I should say is if there's a lot of different tips, including mouth taping and other things in the ebook, but if those things don't work, then you should definitely go and get a sleep study done because sleep apnea is an issue as well. And you can easily get that fixed and set the foundation for good sleep. Well, and I have sleep apnea. I use a CPAP machine, which is a uh, a device that I put this mask over my nose and my mouth, and it allows me to breathe more readily throughout the, the night as I'm sleeping because I have obstructive pathways, right, that prevent my breathing, you know, from me being able to breathe appropriately. And so I was always tired. Or I would fall asleep in the middle of the afternoon and, you know, while driving, I would get very sleepy, which is extremely dangerous. And I used to be a a DUI evaluator for people who had been arrested for a DUI. And one of the things that we, you know, talked a, a lot about is how being sleepy mirrors and mimics as though you're under the influence of a drug or alcohol and is just as dangerous. And actually in Illinois, as of 2019, they are have been looking at adding sleep to the potentiality of being able to give someone a DUI just if you're sleepy. If you, they have evidence to believe that you are too sleepy to drive, that technically, now I don't know, you know, nobody quote me on this. I don't know for sure if it's passed and that's just Illinois. The point is though, is that we're recognizing the importance of sleep and how it can affect all the things that we function in day to day. I know that when I don't wear my mask and I'm guilty, Audrey, I am a hundred percent guilty of sometimes falling asleep in my office chair, sometimes falling asleep on the couch without using my mask. And I 100% can tell the difference that next day when I wake up because I feel more fatigued, I'm not as sharp. And so What I'm hearing you say then too is that really creates an environment in the body where stress levels biochemically are higher, which are adding to the mix of everything else, which can create a heart attack. How scary. Yes, Yes, absolutely. So it was something I struggled with and I did a lot of research on it. And so, you know, that's why I have this ebook for, for free for anybody to download that they can peruse. But definitely if those things don't work, because I was pretty thorough, go and get a sleep study. Excellent. Well, you know what? And we're going to mention this at the end too. But since you've mentioned it right now, what is the website where they can go get that information on, on sleep from you? 
Well, it's AudreyWeidman.com. Weidman is W-E-I-D as in David, M-A-N.com forward slash ebook sleep. Excellent. And we'll say that again at the end of the show, and it'll be in the show notes for those of you that are interested to go to Audrey's site and get that. I would encourage you to do so. This is such a critical and important topic. You said something to me before, not during the show, that I thought was really profound, and that was that holistic recovery is possible. And that, you know, people really have more control than they think, and that it really starts with mindset that will help to put them on the right track with diet and sleep and exercise. So what I like about that quote is that we can often think that if we start with diet and we start with exercise and we do a little bit of this mindset stuff, that somehow all this other stuff will come into play. But what it sounds like you're saying, which really is in alignment with the show, is that it kind of starts with mindset first. It really does. Anything you want to undertake, whether it's your goal to be like an athlete, you know, or goal to be, you know, promoted or whatever, you first have to have the thought and the belief that you can do it. And the thing is that what I help people do is to get the habits and some structure and accountability because you're not going to come out just like I did not come out being like, chill and zen every day <laughs> right i, I yeah. um you know it's a habit that i had to create and yeah for some people it is diet for some people it is exercise in my case it was definitely mindset and you know negative self-talk and just recognizing not being so hard on anyone myself included especially included so what would you say was your kind of kick your butt moment that butt that you found you kept saying to yourself that you have now kicked, that was really kind of an obstacle and a challenge for you at the time. It's kind of funny, but the, the big one for me was really, if I could just learn how to meditate, then everything would be better. But I thought it was supposed to be easier. Like I knew that Meditation is the number one thing you can do without medication to lower your blood pressure. But there are other things you can do too, like I reduce salt, I ate a lot of berries, I took vitamins, you know, anti-inflammatory, but I never got around to the meditation part because it was so hard. I had a monkey mind and I will tell you, it is a learnable skill that will serve you really well on whatever you decide to do. So that is my kick the butt moment. When my friend who was the nurse said, Audrey, <laughs> let me help you here. <laughs> that was really it for me. It's like, yeah, you're right. I need to do it. What I'm hearing that it's really, I want to meditate, but it's too hard. Yes, beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So what would be a piece of kick your butt advice that you would want to offer up to anybody, but especially women who might be under stress and not even realizing it in order to kind of help them start to become more aware to maybe prevent this kind of thing from happening to them? I would say to do something that gives them joy unapologetically, whether it is going to a yoga class, something that is nurturing for yourself. Because I realize a lot of times moms with, you know, young kids or kids in high school, they're they're like whirling dervishes, but you have to allow something for yourself so that you can feel recharged. And whether it's going to yoga, yoga is like movement meditation. And I found that to be really beneficial as well. What, what about at this holiday season? During this holiday season time where things are so crazy busy and all these you know, potential family parties and get togethers and maybe work related, you know, parties and get togethers that are just creating so much stress for a lot of people. What might you offer up as a moment that they can move through? Because like, I hear you. And my thought was, I absolutely want to give that to myself. And then my butt would be, but 
all this stuff is happening. It's the holiday season and we have all this stuff going on. And how can I possibly take that time and fit that in for myself? Do you know what I mean? Sure. So it goes back to what I said earlier. Seek out things that give you joy. And remember, I have a little button on my desk called the no button. Oh, I like that. And if there's something you really don't feel energized by or having to do, you know what? You can always say no. No. Yeah. <laughs> so simple, right? And you yet can say, so hard sometimes. It's so hard sometimes, yeah. but is it really something you have to do? I would I I cut back on my volunteering and things that I felt obligated to do. I empowered myself to say that little word, no. And do you really need to go to the office party? Do you really need to stay to the end? Do you have to drink when you're there? Or can you just sip on something and excuse yourself, make an appearance and go? Do you have to, you know, just like, what are you all signing up for? Because, you know, stress is your demand versus capacity. And you have some control on your demands. You can say yes or no to some things, even though you might not feel like it. And by increasing your capacity is to sleep better. You can meditate. And another quick thing anybody can do anytime and it's free is to breathe. Do diaphragmatic, diaphragmatic breathing by inhaling slowly and then exhaling slowly. And I do this inhale for four hold for two, and then exhale for six. When you exhale longer than you inhale, you're activating what's called the parasympathetic nervous system or the relaxation response. So if you wake up in the middle of the night, you can do this and get yourself right back to sleep. And you can do it at your desk anywhere, you know? Yeah, we've talked a lot about diaphragmatic breathing on the show over time, especially in the beginning, just because it's such an important thing when you're feeling very emotional about something, when you're very caught in an emotional state, then there are a lot of biophysical responses that are happening in the body as well as in the mind. And that is one of the key ways that I found as a psychotherapist and coach over my career that is primary to interrupting that cycle from just a neurophysiological level, you will actually begin to feel a calmerness in the physical body. And that will help your mind interpret, oh, I'm calmer. And that then lessens some of the thought patterns that are cycling out of control and kind of spiraling. And I love that you say that because these are important, critical things that people need to do that are free, you have to breathe, people. Without breath, you're going to die, right? Okay. And we don't want that. And so in that breath, just in that breath, if you just start paying a little bit of attention and are a little bit aware, you can start to diminish what's happening in your physical body and potentially in your emotional and mind body. So what would be a final piece of advice that you would like to give to all the listeners about really recognizing how stress, especially with women, can create an environment where a heart attack is possible, and we hope not probable, to prevent that. What I would say is treat yourself like you would your best friend. Mm, love that. Would you berate your best friend for not being as good as you think she should be? No. Would you want your friend to eat healthy, to sleep well, that sort of thing. Treat yourself as your own best friend because it does start with you. Self-love is where it's at. And from there, you have the energy and capacity to give more to others. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I think you ought to make a t-shirt that says self-love is where it's at. <laughs> t-shirt self-love is where it's at oh thank you so much audrey what a fascinating conversation this has been and i think so incredibly helpful at this time of year especially which you know look we're all under a lot of stress throughout the year and i really wanted to bring audrey on today because the holidays have a higher tendency to create more stress for people and especially women. 
because women sometimes are placed in those roles whereas maybe mom and maybe wife and maybe employee or business owner they feel that they have to do it all and i i really wanted to be able to help you understand that you don't have to do it all and that if you're under a stress or sets of stressors you don't want to end up like Audrey had been 3 4 years ago where she had her heart attack and walked around for 2 days that is unbelievable to me so thank you so much Audrey for being here today with us i want to make sure that everybody knows how to get in touch with you and if they're interested in working with you to diminish their stress and learn some phenomenal tools and skills to start being and living their best and highest self go to www.audreyweidman.com that's a u d r e y w e i d as in david m a n as in nancy.com and if you are interested in getting her very generous offer of an ebook on sleep which is very important again go to www.audreyweidman.com/little e big b for the word book little e book sleep thank you audrey for being here thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure awesome and kick your butts audience i would i would love to thank you for being here especially for this inaugural guest episode first ever for kick your butts i would love to hear your kick your butts moment how are you managing through your butts how are the limitations and the excuses and the boundaries that you have placed on yourself or felt like have been placed on you how are you obliterating them go to kickyourbutts.com hit that start recording button share with me what's happening for you and you never know i might play a clip of your butt moment on the air i love and adore you all go out there and obliterate your excuses and kick your butts to the curb and i shall see you next week ciao for now you've been listening to kick your butts where sitting on your butts is no longer an option figuratively and literally to access the show notes and important links from today's episode please visit kickyourbutts.com while you're there please share your kick your butt story by clicking the start recording button it might just be included in a future episode thanks for listening today now get out there and kick those butts to the curb